love is not enough if you don't have responsibility, if you don't have humility, if you don't have accountability. But what it's demonstrating is that love is clearly not enough to get people to change. Their possibility exists and their potential exists only if they're stepping towards it. And you know what's interesting about dating people for their potential is that you give up your own in doing it. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. It's Violet Benson, your favorite meme queen and the big sis you didn't ask for but need. Welcome to Almost Adulting. Almost Adulting. Almost Adulting. Are you ready? Hi, besties, and welcome to a brand new Almost Adulting, the largest self-love podcast and movement, your number one destination for personal growth and mental health. I am your big sister and your host, Violetta, and welcome to a brand new episode. Today, my special guest is Mark Groves. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited for you to be here as well. Mike Groves is a human connection specialist. He's the founder of Create the Love and the host of the Mark Groves podcast. I've been on it. He's been on my podcast before. Mark's work bridges the academic and the human, inviting people to explore the good, the bad, and the downright ugly and the beautiful sides of connection. He is also a father. And he is also a husband. He's a friend. He's a son. And he's so much more than all that. And... He also has a book coming out. What is it called? Liberated Love. Liberated Love. So we will definitely let you guys know where you can find that book when it comes out in the description of the bio. Without further ado, why don't we get started? I got it. Thank you so much for having me on again. I'm really excited. Of course. Of course. Thanks for coming. I'm trying to think since the last time I was on, I've had a kid and I've gotten married. I don't think I've been on since... Oh, maybe you right? were with your partner, but you guys weren't married. We weren't married yet, and we hadn't had a kid yet, right? Right, yeah. Yeah. So we have a son now named Jasper. Jasper. We got married a month before we had him, which I'm a recovering Catholic, I always joke about. So I was joking with her that she's nine, eight and a half months pregnant as we're getting married uh, in Sedona. And I'm like, this looks like the ultimate, like, make an honest woman out of her Catholic wedding. Oh, you know? that's so funny. It's like a Western joke, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. make an honest woman at her and make sure that you get married before you have a kid. Well, that's good that you made an honest woman out <laughs> right, of her. Right, right. Yeah. We did it because we wanted to celebrate, you know, just our relationship and have a ceremony about it, something that felt sacred to us. And uh, she co-authored the book with me. So right. I, I feel really honored to be able to have done that with her. I mean, that seems like so much fun. And obviously I got a brief, deep glance into the book before it came out in order for me to generate my questions. But I thought that was really cool to for people to see how you met and your journey and all that. So when it comes to the word, you named it Liberated Love. So why exactly is that the title of your book? Well, her and I were, we've been together for around eight years. We were together for five years and then we actually broke up for about nine months not planning to get back together. And when we came back together, we came back together in a different way, which I know we'll get into, but the what really we experienced was a liberation through the challenges in our relationship. You know, and like to liberated love is about this idea that the containers of your relationships, the frictions you have, whether it's romantic or not, I just believe that romantic relationships offer such a sharp magnifying glass to your challenges. Like there's something more agitating about them. There's something more activating about them. And I think it's because of the increased amount of vulnerability there. You know, you talk about this too, this mirror that they bring to your life. And so liberate it because 
So many of us, actually, if we think about how we feel in our relationships till it's different, we feel a bit imprisoned by them. We feel imprisoned by our patterns. We feel imprisoned by the repetition of the way we handle conflict. And what we discovered through our relationship and also working with now thousands of people is like, actually, the things that you feel imprisoned by are actually inviting you to transform and liberate yourself through. This is information that's coming through your relationships that's saying, hey, actually change your life. The gift this person is giving you, whether it feels good and is wrapped nicely or not, is still information that's inviting you to change. So that's why we titled it Liberated Love. It was really a title that came to my wife, which a lot of brilliant things come through her. <laughs> so, like your child. Like our <laughs> yes, exactly. Like our child. Got it. Yeah. Okay. That, that, that makes sense. It's, I mean, it makes sense because it's normally when we feel uncomfortable, it's like ding, ding, ding. It's telling us yeah. something. And usually when you feel uncomfortable, it's something new. Yeah. We're inviting a new template, like a new way to relate because I would argue that what we're doing relationally is not working. You know, we have the highest amount of relationships that end in divorce. But you know, the thing we think is like, well, marriage is, if I, if, if I don't want to get divorced, just never get married. But marriage isn't the problem with divorce, like what leads to divorce. Dysfunctional relationships lead to divorce. Dishonesty leads to divorce. Lots of things lead to divorce, but they're about the patterns we have relationally. Whether you call right. it a marriage or not, you're still going to have the patterns. Communication yeah. leads to divorce. Stopping being curious about your partner, which, like I said on your podcast, that I believe that that's one of a, the best way to have a successful relationship, whether it's platonic or romantic, is to and the one with yourself is to be curious about. That, that other person for the rest of your life. And then you will never be bored with them. And I think a lot of times we stop asking questions and we're like, well, why would they act like that? Well, ask them. Maybe right. they've changed. Right. Maybe you stop, you stop paying attention. So, and yeah, you're so right about those challenges to liberate ourselves because just like with the shadow work that I talked to in your episode, when you start dating someone, the closer you want to get to them, the larger the mirror that you're holding in front of yourself has to get. And the mirror is showing you all the things you don't like about yourself. Those are the triggers, the, the, your yeah. patterns, the way you react. And you're just like, okay, uh, stop. Like, when you act this way, it reminds me how much I hate myself. That's really right. what's happening. And you're like, I hate you. You're annoying me because I'm showing you the parts about yourself that you don't love. I'm showing right. you the parts about yourself that you are hiding. So it's really not about me. Well, imagine if we could orient to life's experiences with that level of humility, that level of curiosity. Yeah, I, I think when we enter relationship with people, we enter as obviously two people in that timeline. But we sometimes, and, I, and I, you alluded to this, we often try to hold people to who they were when we first met them. Yeah. You know, and there's a, in the relationship language, they talk about how we go from this honeymoon phase and then it turns into a more companionate love. And we all know that transition usually happens within about two years. But what also happens is that we start to witness the ways we forget about ourselves, the way we've put ourselves second. Maybe we're trying to help them heal, change them, get them to do whatever, control them. Or we're someone who identifies as a problem. I'm broken. I can't choose people. Mm -hmm. And so eventually the relationship becomes, you know, as you're saying, this mirror to how you've forgotten about yourself. And yeah. like, what a gift that is to know that in your attempt to live out a childhood pattern 
of trying to take care of everybody and protect everybody and everyone else comes first through this relationship, this person through your connection to them brought forward something that had not been resolved yet. I think about that from that level of like, if we're thinking about relationship as being something that is sacred, that now this has been brought forward to you, like what a sacred opportunity Exactly. to either work through with that person, but sometimes the working through is actually the, the leaving. Yeah. And so when we talk about liberated love, liberation is actually about unconditional love. It's about, can you be in relationship with someone where the truth is the thing mm. that ultimately is first, that I'm not trying to control your path in life. I'm not trying to get you to never grow because I'm afraid you're going to grow away from me. Right. I have a deep reverence for you as a human being, as a sovereign human being, as an individual. And what I want for you is what's best for you. And what I want for me is what's best for me. And let's allow our relationship to be the thing that does that. But also, if at some point the relationship doesn't, which is true anyways, like the truth, you can try to deny this, but it's the truth. Your partner can leave you in any moment at any time. So we might as well just pay attention to that because if we can acknowledge that as true, then now we can also acknowledge how beautiful their choice to be with you is. Or you can just live in fear every single day. My <laughs> yeah, partner exactly. is leaving me any second now. They are going to walk out the door. I will never see them again. You will you feel that same thing that a dog experiences when their owner leaves the house and they can't <laughs> process how long the owner was gone for. Right. You will start to experience that with yourself too. And then you just live in high anxiety for like the Constantly, rest of Constantly, right? Like how afraid you're going to be abandoned. How exciting is that? How fun yeah, yeah, yeah. is that? <laughs> That's such a great way to f fuel addictions, <laughs> shopping. Yeah. If you think about it, most systems actually monetize that. Oh yeah, that's so true. But the same way, because when you talk about that, you know, living in the truth and allowing, you know, instead of feeling that fear, no, I don't want my partner to change because what if they change and grow apart from me? But the same way, if you, let's say you're living with your partner and you watch your partner go to work every single day and you trust that the part your partner is coming home, you will see them today or tomorrow, sometime. Right. You somehow just have this weird trust like, yeah, I'll see them for dinner. So you trust them. You have to figure out how to have that same trust then emotionally that they will grow with you. And of course, if they're not, then they're showing you. A lot of times, you know, people with their actions will show you how they feel about the relationship and where you stand. So if that person totally. didn't want to grow with you, they're showing you that this is what you mean to them. This is where the relationship stands for them. And you have to appreciate that that is, I know it's hard to say this because it's different when yeah. you're in it, but that is a gift. You have to trust that the person's path is their path, which means your path is your path. Yeah. So, you know, like there's no the one or soulmate like they have to want you. Like that's one of the qualifiers for any relate. Listen to this. This is one of the most important things. Do not spend your life doing this. Number one qualifier for someone being your person is that they choose you too. That's yeah. a full stop. Like that should be the the pre the the pre get you know you must be this tall to ride, which is actually a qualifier some people have. But you know it's like if someone wants to be in your life, that's the standard. Yeah, that, they that's want the to thing. be there too. That's the only problem. Someone's like, but that person's my soulmate. Like I love him, but he doesn't want to be here. He doesn't love you. He doesn't feel the same way. So that's it can't be your soulmate because your soulmate be. will feel the same way as you do. 
I think in that language, people get lost. So when some people say soulmate, they think this person is meant to be with me forever. They're my twin flame. They're my, and I'm like, you have so many soulmates. Maybe this is the soulmate that's like reminding you that you matter. This is the person who's reminding you that you forgot your own value and the actual projection of your lack of value is placed on them because they're not choosing you. And so by them leaving you, you recognize that you didn't value yourself. It's good that they took your worth with them because it reminds you that they don't have it. Yeah. Right? So it's like, oh, they're this puzzle piece that I'm missing. They complete me. No, they don't. They compliment you. Right. Healthy relationships complement. And I think what we're learning in Liberated Love is about this new template, which is there are two people and those two, and sometimes more for some people today, but it's like there's two people, let's keep it simple, and there's a separate entity that is the relationship, and it must be nourished and respected, you know? And, and at the deepest level of commitment, and there's a saying that the deeper the commitment, the deeper the, what, the darker, the deeper things that will be brought forward. That's why when you actually commit to a relationship, things come up because we don't trust ourselves with commitment. We don't trust that if I commit to you, you won't leave me. You won't break the commitment. I don't know that you're not going to betray me. But this is like, I don't trust myself to have boundaries, to respect myself. So the deeper the commitment, because when people say I'm afraid of commitment, I'm like, you're really afraid of what commitment leads to. Mm. And so we just want to get to what is the fear you have about commitment so we can actually build better skill sets in your relationship to choice. A lot of people who are afraid of commitment don't trust their own choices. So if they say, tomorrow I'm going to go for a walk, and they don't do that, they actually won't trust bigger choices in their life. Oh, wow. That makes so much sense for a commitment phobe myself. That makes sense. And then you feel terrible about it. Why did I even say I was going to do it? I couldn't even commit to that. And then you rather just not even make commitments and type like that. So then you don't have to deal with the failure and disappointment and all that. At the end of the day, your yes to something and your commitment isn't, you don't even trust it yourself because you're like, I'm going to make my bed every morning. I made a New Year's resolution. I'm going to go to the gym five mm. times a week. I'm going to meditate every day. And then you don't. And the, when you don't, what happens is, is you're building the internal information and dialogue that when I say I'm going to do something, I don't actually do it. So then when I choose somebody, I'm not, I don't even trust that I'm choosing them because my choice right. on a ground level, that's why when someone, people have mixed opinions on this guy, but Jordan Peterson talks about make your bed, like clean your room, he says. And it's like, the reason that that one of the smallest habits that can help build massively powerful habits is just if you commit every day to make your bed. It's such a small act, it seems like it's meaningless, but it's actually huge because if every day you do it, you start to build a level of self-trust. And so what that translates to interrelationally is that when I need, when I make a commitment, like a boundary, a consequence, I know that I follow through on my word because I already built the small evidence through I make my bed every day. And I make my bed every day starts to get to when I say I'm going to go to the gym, I do it. Because right. a lot of people think if I commit to I'm going for a walk at 2 p.m. and I don't do it, it harms nobody that I don't do it. I'm the only one who knows, but it harms you, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I like to teach people, and we go through this in the book, where if you don't actually have access to a no, like if I'm codependent, if, if I actually am a people pleaser, 
That means I don't have access to an authentic no. I'm afraid that if I say no, I'm going to hurt people's feelings. If I don't take care of everybody. <laughs> oh, that's me. Okay, perfect. So it's like, I'm going, if I say no, then I will lose or put our relationship in, in jeopardy. And so what happens, and I was working with this woman, she was talking about how she had all these guys who wanted more from her, mm -hmm. right? They're her friends, quote unquote. Yeah. They all, but I was like, okay, but if you said you wanted a relationship, would they? And she's like, oh yeah, quite a few of them. And I was like, and there were men in her life that she desired a relationship with, but they didn't want one. So she was in the friend zone. <laughs> and I was like, this is really interesting because if you, first off, by maintaining friendships in that way, you're saying that you're not worthy of more. Mm. And you're also staying in this ambivalent space where you're sourcing stuff from these, and this can happen in any gender dynamic, any relationship dynamic. You're sourcing things from these men who want more because you know they'll do stuff for you. Right. And then on the other side, you have these other men that remind you that they don't want you. So you have all these connections that are open that you're settling for in one area less than what you want. And in other area, you're actually not wanting to reject these people. Mm. So because you're afraid of experiencing it yourself. And so what we got to was I was saying to her, if you can't access a no around someone who is not a match, someone who's a friends with benefits who you actually want more from, then you're a yes when a good man comes along. You won't have access to it. You won't trust it. Because if you don't access a no, your yes is not fully authentic. Whoa. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's wild. Okay. When we get that fundamental truth, there's like, holy shit. If I can transform that, if I can say no when I really need to, now my yes is real because my yes isn't a yes unless I'm going to hurt your feelings. Okay, yes. Do you see what I'm saying? When that yes is really a no. Yeah. Makes sense? No, it makes sense. I'm more processing and thinking about everything you're saying. That's why I'm quiet. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, that makes sense. Wow, that's a lot. I guess I'll just start saying not no, maybe. I'm kidding. Yeah. I just move into maybes. Maybe, maybe, maybe. That's well, it. Well, if you think about it on a deeper level, it's the nervous system's lack of capacity to be able to hold possible disconnection. So in the book, we talk about how you heal codependency, which the book is really about healing codependency right. so that we can become interdependent so that we can, because we're not saying don't need anybody. We're humans. We're relating. Yeah. We need people. But the real part of that we talk about and at the root of codependency is actually sourcing safety in a way that actually compromises our own needs, our own safety, our own desires. And so when we actually are starting to heal this, it has to also be healed on a nervous system level. And the nervous system is just like a fundamental part of being a biological being. And I think when we think, well, we're conscious beings, so we can just forget about all the biological responses we have. We can skip those, but we all know you get into a fight with someone you love, yeah. Your your consciousness flies right out the window. Yeah, all everything right. you've learned, everything your therapist said, okay, breathe for five <laughs> yeah. seconds before yeah. you say, well, you're balding <laughs> and your mother never loved you and that's why your dog died. And you're like, what? Okay, I'm so sorry. Like, I'll pick up the dog next time. <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, it's so interesting, right? Because we have to like, that observational space between stimulus and response is a skill set. And so we need to learn how to build that. And the way we do that is by creating more safety in the relationship. Mm. 
safety to be ourselves, safety to bring our vulnerabilities forward. I mean, that's all hard. And honestly, you can't work to better your relationships without working to better yourself first. That's usually where codependency comes from, where you start to depend on each other for your safety, for the love to to breathe because you haven't taken the time to work on yourself. So in your book, especially let's focus on the first chapter, you discuss basically someone called, which you kind of briefly mentioned, the great disconnect. Yeah. And do you mind kind of elaborating what this means and how the great disconnect impacts our relationship, especially in today's times? The great disconnect is about how I would argue that most people have truths that are going on within them and feelings that they have about their relationships, what they really want in their life, and they're not living them. You know, and we could think about this relationally. Oh, kind of in a similar way how you talked about that woman being in the friend zone and she wants more, but she's not being living in her truth. So she just accepts the bare minimum of these men being that she loves just as friends as long because then they'll still be there versus accepting her truth that I do actually want more with these men. And this is the friendship with them is not enough for me. That's exactly it. It's like deeply underneath. She learned somewhere, probably when she was young, that she longed for someone, probably her father. In this case, it was. So it's like she was used to settling for somebody who could only give them so much, but she always hoped for more Mm. and she always wanted more. And to be fair, she was actually worthy of a more present, more loving, more safe father. And so because she hadn't actually come to grips with that truth, because that truth, although it's going to liberate her and empower her, she has to be with the grief that her childhood was actually painful and she had not been with that yet. And so when we got to that fundamental, just uh, appreciating that reality that she learned somewhere that she should settle because that's what she was taught to do was to tolerate people who couldn't show up fully. That as an adult, that template just, she didn't even, she was just living it and it was showing up as anxiety. It was showing up as angst, as depression, as frustration, as dating the same types of men, not realizing. That she's repeating a pattern. Exactly. And so the disconnect being, I know I was this person. It's like you're going to bed at night, you're going to sleep, and you have so many things you want to say. You're not bringing forward the elephant in the room in your relationship, the job you hate, the way you're showing up for yourself. You know you want to pursue this dream. You know you've always wanted to start a podcast. You've, you know that you don't like your job anymore. You know that's you don't feel great drinking anymore. And you're getting all this information, but the choices you're making every day are not in alignment with the deeper truth. And you're also going to bed at night, sweeping this elephant under the carpet or it's sleeping between you two in the bed. And you're not talking about it. And what we're saying is that's normal. That is generally how people live. Mm -hmm. And we're inviting a new way where relationship is actually the place that you practice laying down the truth. Now, most of us are afraid that if I tell the truth to my partner or to whatever, to myself, that I will lose my partner. Right? Like, I'm so afraid that our relationship doesn't last forever, quote unquote. Because if it doesn't, I'm going to be a failure. I might lose my friends. I might lose my family. This is true realities for some people. Like if you look, for example, in the relationship, if one of them needs 
oh gosh, I just wish I had a little bit of space. Every time I come home from work, I just wish I had an hour to myself to unwind. But you're so scared to hurt your partner. And then what do you end up doing? You start being resentful. You start being passive aggressive. You start being rude to your partner and your partner. They have no idea why is this person being rude to me? Why are they being condescending? Why are they being short with me? And if only you just said, hey, I just need my own time for an hour. And your person would have said, I much prefer that than you talking right. down to me right. for the next hour. Well, you advocating for what you truly need. And, and likely there might be a reality in the relationship dynamic that they are reactive when you ask for space or you distance in a little bit or you go work out. And then they're like, oh, there you go again, you know, going to prioritize yourself. Like, what about us? Because what they're wanting is you to give up things because they give up things. There's a martyrdom. Right. So it's a martyrdom. It's like, if I give up something for you, I must truly love you, which is truly, obviously modeled for us. you must do that for me. Yeah, which really, when you start to step into your power, what you're reminding them is that they give away their power for the relationship. And so that's how codependency really marinates there. Because let's say I get home from work and I need a moment, right? That I'm saying, hey, you know what? I, I need a moment to even process when we're in conflict. What I'm afraid of by not asking for that is your emotional response to my request, my need. Which means now me as a partner, I created I created a not safe space for you anymore. Well, that's assuming that you are reactive, right? Right. But let's say I just have a template where I saw my parents do that or I ah. saw that needs were never honored. So I'm afraid that if I bring it forward, you're going to have an emotional response. And I don't know. I don't have the capacity yet because I have to develop it. I've never seen it modeled, probably, and I've also never done it. I don't have the capacity to be with your disappointment in my need. I don't have the capacity for you to sit in not being happy with me. Mm. Because probably what I learned as a kid is that if you're not happy, I'm not safe. If you're emotionally flustered and you're you're fluctuating, that erratic energy means I might get hurt you might disconnect from me. You might ignore me. This is why this work is so important because and so apt to the name almost adulting because this is what it means to be an adult is for me to advocate for myself and actually allow you your emotional experience and believe that through your emotional experience of being disappointed with me, which we can explore when we're, we're having conversation because you're allowed to be disappointed, but that you actually now have to expand your capacity to hold disappointment and me hold my need and both coexist. Not that your disappointment makes me collapse and forget about myself. And now here you start to learn that your disappointment controls my behavior. And this is unconscious. This is by accident. There's nothing malicious about it, but it can present as malicious and it doesn't mean there aren't people who are manipulative explicitly. However... What usually happens in these dynamics is there's one person that knows, and we think about this more in addiction, right? There's one person who has a problem they need to solve. There's another person who's trying to get them to finally solve the problem. But this can show up in many ways. It could show up in just like one person's afraid of commitment and the other person desperately wants them to choose them. And that's usually how they find each other, let's be honest. It's the perfect match because what the relationship is doing is saying, here is some sacred material that has come through your family system 
Yeah. Your relationship blueprint, which we walk through in the book, how to identify it, where does this come from? How do we resolve it? What are the steps? It's like your blueprint that you were taught through your family tree. And if you're a woman, usually you look up your maternal line, you'll see where that began, men up the mm -hmm. paternal line. It doesn't have to be that way, but that's usually how it works. It's like this relationship loves both of you enough. It believes in this sacredness of both of you that it's saying, let's actually use this relationship to free ourselves. Right. Yes, exactly. But the reason someone with an avoidant attachment, I don't want to do that, but avoidant attachment style end up dating someone that is more anxious attachment yeah. style is because they're both repeating patterns. That it's a perfect used to. match. Exactly. That's what the avoidant is. I'm afraid I'm going to end up with someone that's suffocating. So right. they end up with someone that's suffocating. And, and like, then the other person is like, up with these I'm afraid that this person, someone's going to leave me. So I will only date people that will leave me because right. it's, just you're looking for a validation of what you really feel inside. It's a pattern that's going to keep repeating until you finally decide to dissolve it. But one thing that I liked when you mentioned the martyr, did I pronounce it right? Yeah. The martyr and how, well, I sacrifice myself. So you should do the same, which I don't love when people do that. In <laughs> well, it's controlling. It's manipulative. Exactly. Because it turns into manip manipulation without them being even... Because it's not like some people do that on purpose. They just think. Oh, I love the martyr. I'm just such a giver. I can pro I can dive right into a martyr. That's my, I have martyr, a template for martyr in me. Oh, yeah, but it's exactly. So it's not like, oh, that person's a bad person. They thinking like, well, I'm sacrificing myself for these people. So they need to do it for me. But but it's like no one asked you. No, and it's, it's so when we build the compassionate lens of where it comes from, it's a child, right? It's a kid who's like, I had to give up all these things. And it's probably from witnessing a parent who held that righteousness. Like no one sees what I do. Look at all the ways I contribute. Because what they're really saying is like, acknowledge me, love me, see how much I do, make sure I'm safe. Yeah. And so as adults, it doesn't work because what you're saying is on a deeper level, a nervous system level. You'll be able to identify when someone is going into victim manipulation. Right. Right. Because you're, you know, that if someone does that, they're emotionally manipulating you. So avoiding people usually have a really hypersensitive nervous system. And the nervous system is talking without words. It's our bodies just sitting together. And if you notice something in my body and you're highly attuned, which most people who are hypervigilant and are the people pleasers, they're highly attuned to, they actually in the research can see facial changes in someone that will predict more distancing. So you were saying how like an anxious person loves an avoidant yeah. person and avoidant person loves an anxious person, but they don't tend to love those parts of each other. What is true about those two templates is they validate each other's view of the world, right? right? Which is what you were saying. But what's really going on is that the anxious person is afraid of what space means and an avoidant person mm -hmm. is afraid of what closeness means. So how they orient to space, which depersonalizes it, how they orient to the space between each other is different. One's afraid of closeness, the other one's afraid of distance. So if both people can learn how to be in their own space, stand still, mm. which that requires one for an anxious, and we go through attachment styles in the book too, but for an anxious person, they have a hard time self-regulating. So that means me sitting with myself, sitting with my big feelings, sitting with guilt. Because if someone said, you're so selfish, 
that's going to make me engage, make me collapse. You think about anxious people when they date, they overtext, overpursue. I'm afraid you're not going to choose me, not going to love me. Well, what do my behaviors do? They push you away and they continue to validate the story. But if I could learn to just, if I can learn how to sit in the anxiety of the uncertainty, which requires a healthy other person, usually, and that's why working with a therapist or a coach is good, but also having healthy friends because they're like, there's no need. You don't have to go anywhere. You start to learn how to be with yourself and your own feelings. So we learn self-regulation through co-regulation. You and I are right now co-regulating. So for anxious people, they need to co-regulate. For avoidant people, co-regulation is actually the struggle. No, it makes sense. I'm listening because I definitely used to. I mean, I probably still do, but I used to be more on the avoidant style. And as you're what you're talking about, the seeking people and the validating that with me feeling suffocated when I need the space, it wasn't just the romantic partners that I was attracting. It's It started showing up in my friendships oh, yeah. where the friends I would attract were always the friends that had so many high emotions when right. something that I thought was so minuscule would happen and they would need to sit down. They would talk to me and the, my best friends would usually be the ones who I could not understand because they loved me so much. One of my best friends used to say something like, no one loves you like I love you. Oh, God. And, but that was the type of friend. That's so controlling. It's incredibly controlling and toxic, but that was my friendship. And then I finally said, oh, I removed that toxic relationship. And the next friend I find, again, it's, no, we're going to sit here until we talk about our feelings. And I'll be like, it's 3 a.m. No, if I walk out that door, I will never speak to you again. We will talk about our feelings. And I just wanted to kill myself. And, and it validated exactly what I felt. People are suffocating. People will take everything from you. People are selfish. And right. I constantly just have to give. And like, there's never space for me to feel because there, everyone else around me has so many emotions. So it validated exactly how I felt as a child where my emotions never matter because it's everyone yeah. else's first. And the reason I'm mentioning this right now is because we just, we, I gave an example of that on his podcast, my episode with him about, um, being bullied, but like, uh, so about in your episode about shadow work, my episode with you on your podcast. Um, so that's where it comes from, but exactly validate everything. But then when you start being more healthy, you come to that existence where, whether you're with another avoidant or in an anxious or another healthy person, now you figure out, I need my space, but I also don't want to take away from their emotions. So maybe they can work with me to come together through this conflict. So I'm going to take a little bit to check out. Yeah. But then, okay, here's a great example. My sister is a communicator, way more than me. And sometimes we get into arguments. And after we get into arguments, I ignore her for like two days. And then two days later, I'll act like everything's fine because I'm over it. And then I remember one of the last... She's like, that doesn't work for me. Right. Because I remember yeah. one of the last times she... I was supposed to go to her daughter's birthday. And she goes, hey, by the way, if you're going to come... Like, if you want to talk about things, we should talk about it now to like get out of the way and to make up. But like, if you're going to be all dramatic at the birthday, maybe you just shouldn't come. And I go, huh? What are you talking about? Like, I already forgot about it. I'm not thinking about it. Like, do you want me to come early and help? And in my brain, right immediately, I said, oh, she's so dramatic, blah, blah, blah. And then I said, or 
Does she have a different reaction to our conflict? Maybe she needs, just because I don't need a resolution, because I just needed the space which she gave me, by the yeah. way. She knows how I work now, so she gave me that space. And here I'm not respecting what she needs from me. Which is, yeah. She needs closure. Mm -hmm. We need to talk about this. Just because I'm over it, she's not over it. And just because I'm over it, it doesn't mean this conflict will not happen again because we've right. never talked about it. So right. it will actually continue to happen. <laughs> It'll come back up. Yes. Yeah. So I thought for me, at least from my own experience with that situation, my sister helped me be like, okay, she's allowing me what I need. It's time for me to give her what she needed for me this whole time, which is closure. Well, and that's why if you learn how to get liberated through romantic relationships, you can learn it through any relationship that brings it forward. But it's going to it's going to leak into all your relationships because you're no longer entertained by being in a relationship that doesn't honor the truth. Because the truth for your sister is, I gave you that space, but I also need to communicate. I get... I get regulation through co-regulating with you. I need to know everything's okay. You, I know from your childhood, you have an easier ability to just sweep things, disassociate from them, close off. And you might need the closure, but you've never had a model of someone actually witnessing your pain. Right. Right. Exactly. So if you think about it, like what sacred material that both of you are bringing forward to heal from your childhoods, probably similar childhood experiences, manifested completely differently, which that's what's so fascinating is that's why you can have two, three kids in a family and they all have different experiences of childhood mm. and they're all valid. You know, when we start to orient to our partners from this place that like your wounds, the pain you've had, that's what makes you defensive. We're not going to tolerate certain behaviors, but we have space for your pain. And I actually want to be part of what allows you to mature and heal into an adult. And, you know, I think what's really important for people, especially who feel like they need to distance more, is that they often feel like, what's wrong with them? Like, what's wrong with them that they can't be close to people? And this is actually the fault of the way that we talk about attachment styles. Mm. Because if you read books on attachment, a lot of them are like, avoiding people, you're kind of fucked. Like if you have to learn how to get close to people, anxious people, you just love. You just love all out. <laughs> you try so hard. But what I learned because yeah. I'm more of an anxious person yeah. is that I learned that my problem is that I'm actually not discerning about where I direct my love. I say I just love all out. That's not healthy. I shouldn't just love all out. What I saw in our relationship 1.0, as we call it, we section the book, relationship 1.0, the sacred pause, and then relationship 2.0. And in relationship 1.0, I was still living out my wound that no one chooses me. No one chooses me. Like, I'm always choosing. I'm ready to do life. But that's, but that's why a lot of people like that just love all out because they're just reaching a hand. Love me. Love me back. So it's not genuine love all out. No, I get to be a martyr because yeah. now I'm reaching out to this other person, my now wife. So this is a good success story. Uh, the book works. It's my now wife, but her identity was something's wrong with me. I can't choose this relationship. Mark is a great guy. He has an Instagram called Create the Love. <laughs> like he's everything I've been taught to desire. What's wrong with me that I can't choose him? And think about how much society would validate that. Like Mark's choosing you. 
Like there's a million people who are like, Mark, choosing you, like choose him back. You Come just on. hit puberty, then you are used goods and you're an old hack. Like it's time for you to accept <laughs> him choosing you. You're right. aging out. You're 17? Girl, you're past your prime. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I think what's really interesting about this is like, so my wife early in our relationship had this dream, and we talk about it in the book, of a burning house. And in the burning house, the house was our relationship. And she had to leave it. And so she was terrified that this dream meant that she would have to leave me one day. And I could feel her distancing from me about a year in. And I was like, hey, look, I don't want to chase you. Like, I find that I chase you, and then you, you're here, and then you start running again, and I have no interest in that. And she was like, I hear you. I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, I had this dream. It's really coming forward for me. Now, imagine if we had honored that dedication to truth, she wouldn't have had to sit with that for exactly. months. Right, but she was sitting with and it. And she thought she was doing you a favor by yeah. just being like, well, it'd be easier if I just distance myself now versus you were creating a mountain from a little from a little road bump if right. you would have just communicated with your partner who you're trying to save by actually hurting him more. Right, and she's thinking, I don't want to leave him. So I don't want to bring this forward. And I don't trust the dream because what's wrong with me that I'm even wanting to leave this guy? So we get to this place where she, she tells me about the dream, but then we're still together, but the dream still exists. So it's like now unconsciously, I'm with a person who had a dream that she might have to leave me at any time. It's like the ultimate wound, yeah. right? So what it showed up as in our relationship is it started to show up as she would change one of our deal breakers, which was when I wanted to have kids by, which we had agreed upon early on in the relationship. And so I'd said to her, she said to me, hey, I, I, I don't think I could do it in the next, I think it was like a year and a bit. And she was like, I need like another year. And I was like, okay, let me sit with that. And I was like, I could do another year. Then she went to change it again. And we were also navigating all this, like, is she gonna leave one day, is she not? And so when she changed it the second time, I was like, I started to realize that when people change something that is inherently a deal breaker in a relationship, it's usually because they want to change the relationship status. Like they're afraid to leave, so they change something that I should leave for. Oh, wow. So I said to her, look, I respect that you can't have kids in this time and you might need to leave this relationship, but I have a life that I'm going to create and a story I'm creating. I'm going to have kids and I want to create a relationship that's dedicated to all of that. I love you. I want to do it with you. If you don't want to do it with me, I love you anyways, but we have to depart. And it was one of the first times in my life that I claimed my story fully. And what was really beautiful is the first I- time you chose yourself. Fully. And like when I was 27, I was engaged. I asked to get married to another woman who was an incredible woman. But I just couldn't choose it. I know getting engaged sounds like I should have been able to choose it, but I was like navigating my fear of commitment and all these things. And people were like, you're just a guy. You're just afraid of commitment. Just get engaged. Everything will be fine. And so I like bypassed my own fears, my own feelings, because society says men don't have connection to their feelings. Then the moment I have a connection to my feeling, it's not what I actually feel. <laughs> Everyone tells me it's not valid. So when I broke off that engagement, I desperately just wanted her to see wisdom in my suffering, wisdom in my leaving, because I had to go. And so I like had this, I got to be on the other side of that because I understood Kylie's need to leave. I, I, I couldn't oh. trap her. I started to see like, maybe there's wisdom in her dream. 
Like maybe she's picking up on something that I can't see because in my desperate desire to love all out, here I'm missing the very powerful information that says you should never love all out with someone who doesn't want to love all out with you. And she was picking up on the deeper codependent patterns we had, which required her to think she's broken and me to think I need to fix people. Well, she also dreamt of her biggest fear and it validated how she actually felt, which is why she said, oh, this must mean that this is our relationship. When in reality, it could have had loads of meanings. Well, she tried to explore them all because she wanted it to be anything but leaving. So we did, we saw every psychotherapist. Yes, but have you ever heard, have you ever heard someone say, okay, whatever you do, don't think about a Coke bottle. Don't think about a Coke bottle. Don't think about it. Don't think about Coke bottle. Think of anything else except a Coke bottle. What are you thinking about right now? A Coke bottle, right? Right. So if I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to do anything else but be sad. I'm going to do anything else but think about the fact that the relationship will not work out. This relationship will be this right. Stop. Don't think about it. I'll think about anything else. Oh, shit. I'm looking at him. Oh, my God. I have to leave him. No, don't think about it. You know, I'm such an good actor. But like you create it, which is why the whole denying ourselves of right. it, feeling our feelings is silly. And just bringing it forward. If anything, you should have accepted that's a possibility. I might feel that way one day. We will deal with it when that happens. But I can't promise tomorrow either because she focused so much on her leaving. You could have left in the end. Who left who? You left her. Actually. In some ways. Yeah, like what ended up happening is. Because you chose yourself. I chose myself and she chose herself. She chose her wisdom that this relationship wasn't a fit for her, which was true. Yes. And so what ended up happening is we had a closing ceremony for our relationship, where, which I got to tell you was <laughs> the most beautiful, most powerful, most life-altering probably thing I've ever done. And I remember saying to her, like, I'd like to close this relationship with respect and grace and love. And so I sent her a text. I was like, hey, do you want to do a closing ceremony? She was like, yeah. And I was thinking to myself, do crazy people do this? Like Mm -hmm. I Googled it. Like what is a closing ceremony? Other people had done something like this, which I was shocked. So I took all the different pieces of information and I was like, here's what I would like to do. I sent it to her. She's like, let's do that. So I show up at our house that we were living in, but I was living somewhere else as we were breaking up. And I was parked outside in the car and I remember thinking to myself, I don't want to do this. And I was like, okay, do I not want to do this because I just genuinely don't want to do this? Or do I not want to do this because the person who can do this doesn't exist yet? Uh, And I was sitting there and it was like, this answer was number two. And I was like, fuck. So I got out of my car and I went into the house. We played a playlist of songs that were the most important to us. We put those on, we lit a fire and we had bought a birdhouse that represented the house from her dream and we burned it. And we completed three sentence stems like prompts for discussion. The first one was, what did we appreciate most about the other person? And I'm talking like, I have a podcast episode on this called um, Adulting's Hard, mm-hmm. where I talk about it, but it's I'm like, sue you. it's a lot of, <laughs> <laughs> it's before you, 
Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'll sue you. Um, I said it with a smile too. <laughs> You're like, Go on. yeah. The first one was, yeah, what did I appreciate about you most? What am I most grateful for about this relationship? And I was like, sobs, you know. And the second one was, what is your favorite memory? And that was so hard. Because here you are like ending a relationship and you're sharing these like. I just can't imagine putting myself through so much misery. But honestly, of course, it was so beautiful. Just to me, I'm just like, because if I went through that, I'd be like, don't leave. Wait, no, stay. (laughs) But that's like, it was like this strange. I'm not religious, but it was like this strange touch of being with with the beauty of the grief that comes with love. And like this recognition that whenever you love somebody, you are always grieving them. Because the more you open up vulnerably, the more you're already accepting the level of pain that it will be required when you lose them. Because you're either gonna die or they're gonna die. But either way, the relationship will end one day. Right. That's why we need to increase our capacity for loss because that's the only way you can increase your capacity for love. So if you've never navigated your endings, you'll never actually be able to move past the pain of what you've not yet explored. Yeah, and you guys also have to be very strong in your own way even if you didn't recognize it within yourself yet. But to be able to come together and cherish and value and look at all the happy moments together and create space in the thanks of like, yeah, we are parting ways because this is no longer working, but I'm actually very thankful for all the time that you gave me. You have to be very strong to be able to do that and still walk away and still process a breakup, you know, go through the breakup. So most people wouldn't be able to do that. So a lot of times you tell people, you don't need closure because most people are not strong enough to be able to accept both truths are correct, where right. you can value your relationship that's ending and you can also understand it's meant to end. Right, right. Which it must be because it is. Yeah. Right? It must be because it is. And that's like fighting the reality of truth, the great disconnect, is actually what makes it so you can't move forward. Even the idea that closure is something you wait for, it's not, it's something you create. I've had thousands of people do closing ceremonies now. And I say thousands because you don't require the other person even to do it. Like you can do it on your own. You can set it up on your own. You can have, you can switch chairs and answer as the other person. It's not always safe to do a closing ceremony. You don't want to open your world back up to a manipulative, you know, abuser or narcissist, you know, like, you have to be discerning about what you do these or how you do these things. And the third thing we did in that ceremony, the last thing was, what do we hope for the other person? And there was an acknowledgement that that was hard to access because, you know, like, I hope you find your person. You know, you like, couldn't. No, I don't. We were authentic. It was like, I can't, I want that for you, but I just can't authentically yeah. express that. But what that did, the way we closed it with such love and reverence, because then we went into no contact and I live everything I say. I was like, no contact. I can't communicate. I'm moving forward. And it's actually through that ending that we were taught so much because then we went both into our own growth bubbles. And, you know, nine months later, you know, a few things here and there between, but nine months later, she contacted me and she was like, I'm ready to choose this. Like, I'd like to talk to you about that and I was like "Mm, you've said that before like I don't and guess what that only worked I believe the reason you guys found each other again is because and it worked this time is because you came back to one another as different people 
Yeah, and we completed the no one ever chooses me. I chose myself. You chose She's yourself broken. so much. She saw wisdom in her in her story, in her dream. And the what was so powerful about our ending, actually, too, which I forgot to mention, is she would be like, you know, and I this is classic. She, she would be like, just leave me. Like, how can you be with me? And I was like, oh, no. Like, you don't get to make me do this. The last time she had ended a relationship, she sabotaged it. And I said, you actually get to choose to end this. You get to. I, I don't want to take that from you because there's wisdom in how you feel. And so we had a conversation. I'll never forget it. And I was like, you need to say the words. And mm. she did. We were both crying. Right. And she said them. And it's because we moved out of, we, we became adults, <laughs> which is really, Yeah, but know? also she wouldn't have come back nine months later. If you didn't give her the space and you, if you didn't give her, if you didn't show her what it was like to live a life without you. Because right. before she was so used to you. How could she ever miss you if you're just always there? How could she ever miss you if you're always telling her, but I love you, but I choose you. When she's not choosing herself, she's not, she, she doesn't trust herself enough. And then you showed her, okay, thank you for everything. Goodbye. And, then she and you chose yourself. Yeah. Exactly. You chose yourself. And that's when she came, came back nine months later saying, okay, I get it now. I want to choose you the way you love yourself so much. Your first answer was, wait, you said that before. And that's only because you were able to learn how to love yourself to be able to even give that answer. Yeah. Like what was really, she had, we both had access to our no. So now our yes was true and real. Exactly. And we created a dating container basically. So for three months we said, we're going to date each other. And that was really important for me because remember I said I was normally not discerning. I would just be like, I love you. Let's just do life, you know? And meanwhile, the other person's like, um, you can't possibly want to do life yet. We yeah. just met, you know? Yeah. But I'm like, there was like a genuine nature to that feeling for me. Like, and it was because I, I had not been taught how to be discerning and where to direct my love. And so this container created this space where I couldn't accelerate it. And I remember I'd be like, okay, so we're back in. And she, and I'd be like, she'd say, well, no, we're in this container. Like we're exploring this. And I remember kind of being mad. Like, why can't you just say you're all in? And what I recognized in me saying that was, I can't possibly be all in. Like, this is not a hell yes for me yet. Right. This Great. Is, I'm learning this. And it made me allow, I stayed in my body. I stopped leaving for hope and for possibility. I was actually like, oh, I can trust myself. Like, is this right for me? I kept asking, is this right for me? And so I would communicate where I felt maybe it wasn't. Or, and one of the big things we talk about in the book, but like, I didn't trust her yes because she had given me a yes before. And she was so good. She would say, I hear you. And you're so valid and not trusting it. And she would say to me, I'm not going anywhere. And, oh. I would, and I'd be like, oh, God, like, that's everything I've wanted to hear. Yeah, right? that sounds, yeah. <laughs> but my like, the little kid in me was like, should not go. That's what I've always wanted to hear. Right. And there was just such a beauty to that, like that level of. But she only gave it to you after you also gave her the space with the opportunity to leave. But instead of being, no, no, no. She were like, okay, do I? I, wait, I don't trust her yet. And blah, blah. And then she goes, I hear you. I'm not going anywhere. And oh, you're like, man. oh, it was so okay. Beautiful. Yeah. It allowed my nervous system to calm because they were, and like, that's part of what you just said is exactly part of liberated love. And this, there's a quote from um, Harriet Lerner where she says, if you're not free to leave a relationship, 
financially, however, emotionally, then you're not free to be yourself in a relationship. And what can happen if we fall in love with Disney stories is we're incapable of seeing that as a truth because we're like, well, that's not romantic. Romance is not self-abandonment. We have to pay attention to that. Romance is actually allowing someone to become the greatest version of themselves. That's romantic. That's hot. Like it's wild that to me that when people leave relationships, they do everything they dreamt of. Why would we not want, like even as your friend, why would I not want you to come fully alive? Right. Like why wouldn't I want Violetta to be the most powerful human I know I can see her to be and even more than that? Why wouldn't I want my wife to become the most powerful woman I have ever met? Because Because she will leave you? That's if if I'm afraid she'll leave me, then yes. If I'm afraid that power is finite, and my partner becoming powerful makes me powerless or less powerful, then I'm going to try to control and dim her light because I'm afraid. I'm afraid that what she's becoming, I'm not. I'm afraid if she becomes that, other people will see it and they'll be drawn to it. Right. But I, you have to trust that the container of the relationship is trying to actually do that. And you have to trust that you're good enough for her to continue to choose you every single day the same way you choose her every single day. That's and if the she doesn't? That's life. And you will live. You will exactly. You will live again. That's true, anyways. So we might as well bring that truth to the relationship. Mm -hmm. Because if that's her path, that's her path. I'm not trying to control her destiny. I'm trying to be with her beside her, walking along it, living mine. But one thing, two things I like about your story with her is that a a lot of my listeners get to see the side of, because we get so used to the stories or how usually happens where we see, it seems more often, even though that's not the case at all, where it's the woman begging, please commit to me. And the man's right. not committing. And A, I like, it's the other side. You're like, I need children now. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm commit like, to where's me. our D- Disney wedding? And I love you. I want you. kids. <laughs> yeah. I have a biological clock over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're yeah. talking about all that. So I like the side, the fact that they get to see that this other side, it does exist where, because it's very invalidating for also a lot of men out there who feel the way you do yeah. and they get invalidated. And then like, they feel feminized. Exactly. exactly. Like, Only women feel this pattern. way. Yeah. You, you're such a little bitch, you know? Right? Not that I'm saying that you are. I was a little bit. No, no I'm just but you get, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> no. So A, I like is to show on the other side where the woman was the villain, quote well, unquote. I think for a lot of women, they have that avoidant, that self-identity. And you think about it, like that's really a wound of the way we've socialized and taught women. You know, like you're actually not safe to come and go from a relationship. You're supposed to abandon yourself, give everything to everyone. You're supposed to uh, give up yourself financially. Look, you don't have to go very far up a family tree these days to see financial abuse. You don't have to go like the model or template of relate. Look at the way that we relate to mothers. Yeah. Right. Like there's not an honor of the sacredness of motherhood generally, culturally. I would even argue in the U.S. because a maternity leaves I think minimum or max three weeks. Three yeah. weeks? Are you kidding me? And then when a, when the when the woman goes have lunch with her friends and takes a picture, like when you see a celebrity do that or anything, or goes out for the night for dinner, and everyone goes, "Wow, she left her three month child at home by himself by himself, sir. He has a father. Yeah, like the father was with him. And when if the father just takes one picture or just goes, "You're doing great," to yeah. the kid, everyone's like. Father of the year, he so acknowledged so the true. son. 
you know? So, yeah. and, but the other thing that I liked of what you were saying, which I think is, can be very inspiring to other people out there. So a lot of times we think when you do the work on yourself, then that's it. You're healed and you're good. And I like that you mentioned, we took all that gap. And when she came back to me and she said, I want you back. I said, I don't know. I don't trust you. Cause you know, that shows I worked to myself. I love myself. Then we got back together and I decided we will date for three months because I want to take that space. And then when she's those... the one who created that. Let me okay, be... whatever. But you agree she with it. it. Yeah. The point is you agree with that because it's part of your healed self. And within those three months, you start to have those same emotions because it's a habit. We start to have those same emotions of like, okay, let's just, right. everything's good. Let's jump in. So the point of that, that I like that you mentioned that is to allow people to understand that it doesn't mean that you didn't actually work on yourself. The, the difference here is that when you work on yourself and you repeat patterns, this time you notice them, you catch it on time, you acknowledge them, you figure out how to stop yourself. That's the big difference when it comes to working on yourself because people think, well, I healed myself, I worked on myself, what? I've reacted the way I used to. Oh my God, that means nothing yeah, changed. I'm, screwed. I'm a fucking loser. Yeah. Like I will never, like what's wrong with me versus, oh, this time I caught it. And this time I do have a choice. I can actually not repeat this pattern. Right. I could take a step back. I could figure out, uh-oh, my child wound needs a little bit of loving right now. Okay, right. let me give it to, to myself instead of being, can you give that to me? So it's good. I like that. Thank you. Yeah, there's no, um, what you're saying about how when people get triggered again, there's a belief that they failed or aren't healed, but not recognizing triggers actually never go anywhere Yeah, because they're brilliant. They're wise. They're radars for pain, you know, for possible injury, possibly being left, you know, vulnerability, whatever, abandonment. And it's like how you orient your, to your trigger is what changes. And so like my desire to lock down the relationship, that was out of a fear of being left again, a fear right. of not being chosen. But I, what you're saying, which I appreciate you noticing and, and acknowledging, is that I was able to be in that fear through actually her reminding me too, and being like, oh, like I'm not going anywhere. Like I can trust myself to right. choose whether this is a fit for me or not. And honestly, that... um that three-month container was so powerful because it allowed us to heal, repair things that needed to be repaired, build a new foundation as two whole sovereign beings that our commitment has always been to telling the truth first above everything. And I love that about her. Like I love that I can bring forward things that might not make sense for me, but they're coming up for me. And the way we actually orient to each other is that What's coming up for one person is coming up for both people. It's just that one person has been gifted the information. Mm. And so I see her triggers, her fears. I see mine. The relationship sees both of those things as actually being incredibly wise and needing to be worked through with the relationship, which I, I can imagine. Like if I have an ex listening to this from when I was 20, I know I didn't do that because well, I didn't know. Well, you didn't do that because... You were meant to learn what you needed to learn while being with that person. And she was meant to learn what she needed to learn while being with you. And if yeah. and if she's struggling to take that knowledge, that's more on her. If you just rather say that person hurt me and blah, blah, versus being, oh, I got to learn things about myself while I was right. with him. He triggered things about myself that I didn't like. And now I get to work on it. He had some traits I really liked. And you know what? In my next partner, I'm going to find that. Plus the things he didn't give me. The new partner will give me those things as well. Right. 
So that's the whole point of relationships. Hello. The whole point of relationships, you're meant to break up until you find someone. Not maybe, you know, we use those romantic words, but if you find someone that's finally at the same place as you at the same time who wants the same thing as you at the same time you want the same thing. And those two things are so hard to align because usually it's like we want the same things. Oh, but you are just not ready for those things. Right. You meant like in five years. Shit, not you. Okay, we're both ready for a relationship. Oh, but we're not ready for the same thing. Right. Okay, I'm ready to do it now. Oh, you want... Uh, uh. So it's like until you finally... We both want to work, make it work. We both want to show up every single day. We both have things we need to work on ourselves. Like it's... it's relationships are work. They are. All of them. They're none of no you're not just gonna meet someone and they're just gonna get every aspect, every quirk of yours. Like that even under that operates under the idea that no that you're not a mystery. <laughs> like yeah, everyone's a mystery. Right. I love what you said that you're the person's always changing. Like you have to maintain that curiosity. The person my wife was when we first got back together, different than the person three months later, than the person now she's a mother. Very different experiences, new yeah. things coming up. I'm a father, new things coming up. It's actually maintaining that curious lens that creates the adventure. Right. You, you, know? you just have to continuously be curious about them. And it's so funny because we all always say, well, I'm just looking for someone that just gets me. Well, they can't get you unless you tell them about yourself. Or we go, you just start dating someone. You go, oh, my God, I. what do you like of him? He just gets me. He gets you because he doesn't actually know you. So it's Yet. just, yeah. I mean, he gets that you like comedy movies. That's yeah. so cool. But like, <laughs> does he know that your grandfather died last week? Well, no, right. that's too deep. Right. So he doesn't get you. Or does he know that you have this weird quirk where you spiral? Right. <laughs> when you're really upset. <laughs> so he doesn't get you yet because, well, I don't want him to know that because then he won't accept me. So he right. doesn't get you. He doesn't get you. He gets you like comedy movies. That's so cool. Like that. My cat gets that about me too. <laughs> it's pan- pancakes. Pancakes. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. that The flaw with that belief or need when dating is that it's way too much to put love on the line for. Mm. right? Like I'll know my person as my person when, but you know, I was saying before that if we don't have access to a no, we don't have access to a yes. So if we are used to people who don't choose us and chaotic connection, um, just like the elation of connection, the elation of sexual excitement, those are all great things. But if, if uncertainty is how we orient to love, because we had unreliable parents, then when we find someone who is dependable, we won't be able to actually choose them yet because we don't have access to an authentic yes. So we won't even trust. I'm not sure like this person, if there's a good connection there or not, because we haven't said no to what's not a good connection that we know is not a good connection. So you have to be able to actually own those things. I would say you have to tie your integrity. Your integrity has to be brought into this because like you're not in integrity if you are not honoring all the information that's currently being brought forward in your life. And the word integral, integris, integrity comes from the idea of wholeness. Mm. So that's restoring wholeness is honoring all the information that's coming into your experience. How can you even get to the person you want to choose to create a relationship with, a life with, when you can't say no to the person who's not? That other person's not going to show up till you learn how to say no. And I remember Abraham Hicks, who like, if you've never heard of Abraham Hicks, you don't have to worry about this part, but it's a woman named Esther who channels a guy named Abraham. Doesn't matter. This information is super interesting, which is Abraham says that when 
you make a request for something, like an amazing relationship, an amazing partner, everything that is unresolved will be brought into your life so you can hold that when it gets here. Ooh. I know. Abraham, zing, zing. Wow. Okay. So, you know, you've spoken about this before, so now I just want to bring that up since we're already discussing about relationships. What does it mean when people say love is not enough? Mm. I think it's this idea that if someone loves you, that's enough to get through everything. If someone loves, if you have love, everything else will take care of itself. But when you hear people say love is not enough, which I think is originally a line from John Lennon, I can't remember, but what that really means is that love is not enough. What you were mentioning earlier is actually what makes relationships work. You nailed pretty much all of them. Curiosity, an orientation to growth, humility, responsibility, accountability. I mean, these are all words that are synonymous too. Yeah. And I would also argue that humor is important in there. The love is not enough if you don't have responsibility, if you don't have humility, if you don't have accountability. Just think about how many people love people who've abused them, right. desperately love them. And that's not anyone's fault. That's, you know, a learned model. But what it's demonstrating is that love is clearly not enough to get people to change. Some of the people we love the most who have addictions, who just can't seem to find their way out. It's like, if I just take care of them, that's the, the voice of the enabler, right? If I just get them to change, I just see so much their possibility and their potential. But you have to love who someone is now. Right. Their possibility exists and their potential exists only if they're stepping towards it. And you know what's interesting about dating people who for their potential is that you give up your own in doing it. Exactly. And it is interesting when, we go, when they think love is enough and they go, but they love me. And you go, they love you when they talk really poorly to you. Right. Yeah, but they said, sorry, they love you when they keep repeating it. They love you when they discount discount your needs and, and your wants. They loved you when they made you, when they kicked you out of the car in the middle of the night. Like, and you start hearing those things, right. you go, oh, or you say, you say the opposite, where it's, but love should be enough. I love you, but I won't change. I know what you need. I love you, so that should be enough for you. I love you, so I don't have to quit drinking because I love you. That should be enough for you. It's like if you loved yourself, you'd quit drinking. If yeah. you loved yourself, you'd be able to receive the love from me, but you can't. And if I loved you, I'd no longer direct my energy towards you when you have toxic behaviors. If I loved me, I'd no longer tolerate unhealthy behaviors. You know, like that's the misconception that love is tolerance. Love is not tolerance. Compassion gives you context. Like I can know why someone's an addict. I can know why, you know, they were traumatized as a child. I can know why someone's a narcissist. I can know why someone is unavailable, avoidant, anxious, whatever. But I have to set that the standard for love to be in relationship with me is we mutual self-respect, mutual regard for one another. That is a standard, but I can only hold it if I hold it for myself. Mm. That's why they say, you know, the depth to which you can love another is always reflective of the depth to which you love yourself. That's a cheesy quote, but it's true because the deeper you go into your shadow, you will not be afraid that someone else goes there and sees something they don't like because you went there and found everything you love about it. 
Exactly. Because every person you date is just you're holding a mirror to yourself. And that and as long as you have parts about yourself that you don't like, you will attract people who will show those hundred percent. What a gift and what a fucking and, painful yeah, gift. Yeah, what a gift. A painful gift, you know? And the, but it's a gift. And if you're willing to see the challenges that have come into your life through relationship, you can liberate you can liberate yourself through them. If you're willing to see every experience you have in your life as information to transform yourself, you can completely change your life. Completely. I don't I don't believe there is any excuse now to not become everything you can possibly be. Mm. So what advice would you have to a couple who's current or someone in that relationship that's currently holding love to such a standard and it's the above of all um, things and they believe that that's the only the only necessary thing for the relationship? Like how can you help them to understand that there's additional factors to thrive? I'd say that they're using this idea of love to bypass the pain that people aren't showing up. So what this idea of this righteousness of like, love is enough. If you loved me, I love you. I would do anything for you. Like my friend who said, no one loves you like I love you. And you're going to think of not being my friend. Who else is going to love you right. this way? I which love you. Which is a classic abuser controlling technique, which says like, your access to love is me. I care about you so much, you're never going to find someone else. Meanwhile, your body's going, if this is love, like that doesn't feel it. good. But if that's what we were taught, that is matching to a part of us that that belief actually makes sense. When we develop healthy relating, which is only through that stuff, um, unless our parents actually taught us healthy relating, if we learn healthy relating, we go, no. Like, first off, you wouldn't tell me that love isn't infinite. You wouldn't tell me that I wouldn't find it somewhere. I could find healthy love that's not conditional somewhere else. And it's not what you're doing right now. Right. You know, so for this person who holds up this idea of like love is everything, they're also creating a hierarchy. They're saying, I hold this. I'm ready to do all this. You know, I'm, I'm righteously standing in that, which is different than saying, I love you. And because I love you, here's the standard I hold. <laughs> you meet it or you don't but I love you enough to invite you to it, but I'm not lowering my standard to meet you. But this other one where it's more of a righteous, virtuous space, they're actually not authentically standing in that same guttural, like through your gut, right? Which is like standards, boundaries, anger that yeah. says you're violating my values. I don't violate my values. Those yeah. are very different because if someone's holding up love and saying, oh, if you love me enough, you'd change, you'd do this. What they're doing is they're actually leaving their center they're leaving their values and they're actually trying to make you change so they can re-enter their values. And that never works because if people change for someone else, it can only last for so long before they go back to who they used to be because they change totally. for someone else and it goes comes back with resentment. Yeah, it's, it's conditional love it's, and it's conditional change. You know, when someone goes through a breakup and I'm like, listen, let's rock it. Like you could change your whole life using this emotion that you have, but you got to keep moving forward. What is moving forward mean? Okay. Boom. And it's like there at the first part, I'll say you can use the desire that you have to get them back to start the growth, but you can't change to get them back because you won't keep the growth when you don't. And the reason a lot of times these relationships 
when you want that person so back so bad and you're so focused on that, but then you start doing all the things you've always dreamt of doing, but for some reason during your relationship, you felt like it was holding you back, you didn't do. And then by the time you finish doing all those things, what happens? You don't want that person back anymore. Why? Because you have created a new version of yourself and the new version of yourself would never right. be with that old with that person ever. And I think I love that part. That's why every time I, I finish dating somebody and doesn't work out and I get over them, it's so hard for me to go back because it's a new version of myself. And the person I am now would never accept the love that I thought was okay and what we had. Not because they're all bad people. I don't go around thinking that. It's more, we were not compatible. Right. And it took me a second to figure that out because I was like, well, it's convenient. If you're here, we might as well just figure it out. Totally, totally. And that stepping into that level of discernment again, like, is this for me? A lot of us when we're dating, especially if we're anxious, we don't ask that question. Is this a fit for me? That allows you to stay in your center. You got to do that. If you're someone who's prone to love bombing, rapid acceleration of relationship, you have to do that. And you know, when Kylie and I got back together, a lot of people asked us, especially, you know, me and my inbox, like, how did you get her back? What did you do to get back together? And I'm like, first off, how, well, they would say, how do I get back together You're with like, my Well, ex? there was a full moon. And then I wrote her name <laughs> yeah. 72 times on the piece of paper. I burned it. Then I chanted like a little bit in front of the candle. Then I wrote the, like the love letter she would write to me. And I put it under my pillow. And then after like reciting it for seven days in a row, she called me. How did like, you know? <laughs> I also slit myself, put some blood on there. Yeah, you, you have, have to complete to. it with blood. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I broke into her car because you basically <laughs> need to take like a strain of hair and in order when you're doing the, the magic. And, you have and to like, have the hair. I forgot and like, about that. That was kind of weird because she was like, oh my God, it's so crazy. Someone broke into my car and I was like, oh, that's no way. I'm missing that's, my brush. That's so weird. And it's it was me. But you know what? It's fine. It worked out. So like it's totally like normal, healthy relationship now. Yeah, that's the start <laughs> of all getting back together. All good relationships start like that. Yeah. With a restraining order. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll get asked a lot though, like, how do you, well, how do I get my ex back? And I always say to people, it's the wrong question because that infers that you have to go backwards. Like even the structure of the language is how do I get them back? How do I get back together? And then to me, it's like everybody that you're in relationship with will only be in relationship with you when you're moving forward. That's true. Right. So like Kylie and I were both moving forward. But if both of us didn't find each other in our future, it wouldn't have mattered because we were both centered in moving forward. Like I was ready to be in a, I wasn't ready yet to be in a relationship, but I was ready to be in a relationship with someone who was oriented to the things we said, growth, curiosity, humility, accountability, et cetera. And she was too. But what was beautiful, it just happened to be that both of us were those people. Exactly. You know? And so when people ask that question, I always just say to them like, Dive so deep into your healing. Dive so deep into the intention of creating something. Use this, this, it's like some of the most sacred medicine is the grief of loss. It's some of the most potent medicine. It'll have you transform your body. It'll have you choose different foods. You know, when people say like, get a revenge body, I'm like, do that. But like, get a revenge soul. Yeah. Like step fully into yourself. Bring yourself fully alive. Well, I think that's what's so funny when they go, how do I get this person back? And a lot of times when you tell them, oh, well, love yourself, heal yourself. And you're like, "I oh, screw that. I need that person. How do I get them back? So you go, okay, fair. How do I get them back? What do you miss about this person? Well, I miss how they made me feel in the beginning. So you miss how someone, how another person makes you feel. Well, no, that's not, it's about them. Okay. What else do you miss? Well, I just miss how like, 
I miss sleeping next to him in the bed. Mm. So you miss a body right. next to you. And you're like, no, no, it's about him. What else do you miss? Well, he, he, I, I miss how he, um, I don't know, what else is it? How he would sometimes compliment me. Right. You're like, so you just miss someone validating the good things that you're doing. Someone telling you good job. So again, you're just, so sometimes we don't, if we just look back and we realize, well, I missed the beginning. Oh, so you missed the, when you don't actually know someone. Right. The excitement, so you miss, the curiosity. You miss just like the, the surface level stuff. Cause you can get that anywhere. Right. You can. Yeah. Versus I miss who I am when, I, oh, or they go, I miss who I am when I'm with them. You're still that person. Maybe they bring it out of you, but you can bring that out of yourself too. I used to remember that when I was dating in the, in the past, when I was dating someone, every time I would find a partner based on a trait about them that I like. And the craziest thing is, was that every time we would break up and I would process the breakup, I would have realized my favorite trait about them that made me fall for them was always a trade that I had in myself that I would forget I had it. Mm, that you like longed for. Exactly. That's so I would cool. date someone who was very outgoing and funny. I would date someone that was very work driven. I would date somebody that was very kind with a good heart. And it was like little things that I adored about them. But like, I was so busy adoring them for that trade that I completely neglected that trade in myself. Mm -hmm. I had it all along. And yet I looked up to them. Wow, you are so outgoing and funny and everyone you're so charming or like, wow, you have such a good heart and you're so caring or that's how I created yeah. them in my head. But like, it was here all along too. Right. Yeah. I remember listening to Ram Dass and he talks about this idea of like, uh, I love, I'm funnier when I'm in relationship or I met this person and I felt love for them. So I need a relationship to find love. And he was saying that what they activated in you is something that's already activated in yourself. So they become an object of love. But really what they are is just a way that it was activated within you. So you think meditation is the path to that. You think a partner is the path to that. But he's saying like, they're just the thing that opened you up mm. to what is already there. And so if you think the object provides it, then you'll be tied to the object. You'll be addicted to the object instead of realizing that it's actually you. And I think that's the greatest gift of the first time you experience love is you then think when they leave that you don't have love anymore. Right. They're taking it with them. Right. But it's here, Aww. you know, and that's right. a beautiful thing to remember. That is a beautiful thing because every, every relationship you have, again, platonic or romantic, it's constantly just learning more and more about yourself and constantly thinking if they leave, that part of me will be gone. And yeah. it's, it's and it still there. It's, it's so sweet. It's actually really cute to think about that. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. Where, Where can, can people find you? Um, you can find me at Create the Love on Instagram. You can find the book uh, wherever you buy books, uh, liberated-love.com. And you can find my podcast, the Mark Rose Podcast, wherever you listen to it or on YouTube. And you can listen to the recent episode on shadow work with Violetta. Okay, sounds good. Thank you guys so much for listening for another episode of Almost Adulting. And I will see you on Saturday if you're subscribed to my premium podcast or I will see you next week. Love ya. Bye.